Welcome to X-Rated Movies. My name's Matt Fisher. My name's Ryan Whedon. And we are two guys that used to date, and now we don't. Now we talk about movies. And Whitney Houston. And I'm glad you brought up Whitney Houston. Well, that's what this podcast is partially about. I think that the children are our future, <laughs> and uh, that we should teach them well and let them lead the way. Your personal philosophies aside, you're a Whitney Houston fan. <laughs> well, I've been obsessed recently with uh, a certain song from her. So catalog. in 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 the canon of songs that you've been obsessed with within recent memory, we've got uh, Under the Sea, Billy Ocean, uh, something about backseats and bumpers. And now we can add to this rich pantheon. You Give Good Love to Me by Whitney Houston. It's awfully saucy. How old were you when you first listened to this? Oh, I was young. Five, six, seven. Ooh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents bought the tape. This was, you know, it was a big album, big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. They called it Crossover Appeal, which meant white people bought it. Yeah, I was going to say, so that <laughs> meant that she was black and popular. Yeah, so uh, my family included in that, apparently. Mm. And uh, my parents played this tape nonstop and uh, really influenced me. And for some reason, I got this song stuck in my head recently, just out of the blue. And I was like, well, I should listen to this. And I listened to it. First of all, it's the first song on the album. That's how you did it. Like the single was the first song. Yeah, but that wasn't even the first single. The first single from that is How Will I Know, which is the first song on the B side, which is odd. Oh. Yeah. But You Give Good Love to Me came eventually. But it's like, it's got this really great beat. Super 80s. But they didn't do a lot of processing on her voice. It sounds really raw and really young. She was 22. Raw and young. Just how I like them. What? She was so talented. Miss Whitney. Yeah, too bad she married fucking Bobby Brown. Well, I think that was a a show. Yeah? Well, that's what they say. Like, there's a new documentary that came out where she's, like, posits that she was gay. Really? Yeah. She had really? an affair with her makeup artist. Really? Really? Wow. That's the tea. And not, you didn't hear it here. <laughs> this bib isn't soaking up all this tea. <laughs> I mean, that would probably explain the drug addiction. Like, if you keep that stuff hidden, it's going to come out in other weird ways, guys. Mm, yeah. So, uh, And we can add her to the great roster of lady singers who were secretly gay. Leslie Gore, Dusty Springfield. Dusty Springfield. Uh, had relationships, long-standing relationships with women mm-hmm, in her mm-hmm. later years. Taylor Dane. I don't know who that is. You're kidding. Is that a fashion brand? I don't know. Tell it to my heart. Tell me I'm the only one. Is this really love or (laughs) just a game? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Lesbian. That's from from my heyday. Yeah. Oh, man. I was a big Taylor Dane fan. (laughs) A friend of mine recently told me that she saw Taylor Dane at a Colorado Pride event. Okay. And that it was the worst show she's ever (laughs) seen. (laughs) Not necessarily because Taylor Dane was singing bad, but because the sound person didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Well, yeah. What do you want to do? Like, go to a four-non-blonde show? Like, what do you expect to see there? I don't know. She said she was just shouting. It just sounded like shouting and, like, horribly distorted vocals of Taylor Dane singing the whole time. Well, uh, non-lesbian singer, Bonnie Tyler, when we had that eclipse last year, and there was some cruise that was, like, right in, like, the path of totality... And she was singing Total Eclipse of the Heart, like, at the time of the eclipse. Like, not to say that she doesn't still have pipes. I didn't hear her sing it, obviously, but... Uh, you couldn't hear her from here? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it does 
beg the question, does she still have the pipes for that sort of stuff? I mean, whenever I hear a Bonnie Tyler song, all I think about is that she did it in one take and then immediately collapsed to the floor. <laughs> and what other Bonnie Tyler songs are you listening to? I need a hero. <laughs> I'm holding up for a hero till the end of the night. Like, she needs that hero. <laughs> I, be- I believe her. Oh, okay. God, you know all the karaoke classics. <laughs> I just I work at a disco night or day event at Pony. <laughs> Your life is a disco. Oh my god! I've been thinking about it recently. I, my the amount of disco that I listen to in any given week, I, it's gotta have molded my brain in a certain way. You know, like yeah. I just have a certain. You listen to more disco than people who came of age in the disco era listen to disco. I know. <laughs> I mean, I've been working this disco shift for over six years now that's twice as long as disco lasted that's what i mean (laughs) i mean and you're not even like doing like blow and hookers and things like that like no wonder you're exhausted (laughs) i'm sick of wearing these rolling shoes (laughs) you might as well be working at a gay dive disco bar under taliban rule Today's movie is the 1985 Arnold Schwarzenegger classic, Commando. This is the best non-Cameron, non-Predator, non-Verhoeven Schwarzenegger there is. That's a lot of qualifiers, (laughs) but uh, sure, I'll agree with that. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's a big guy. Like He's tall, he's muscular. 6'2", they say in this movie. I'm that tall. Well, I'm, I'm not no, impressed, no, Arnie. No, no offense. You do not have the musculature. I'm that sure he's if you bringing. put us side by side, I'd I'd be comparable. Yeah. Okay. I I think it's just the way they shoot them, just mm, in the mm-hmm, low mm-hmm. angle hero shots. It just it the camera adds 150 pounds of muscle. <laughs> you don't think he just looks like Zangief in in real life? <laughs> I mean, just imagine what Alyssa Milano looks like without the camera. <laughs> She's huge in this movie. <laughs> All that baby fat. <laughs> so this is, you know, an action-y movie. He's a one-man army. It's not commandos. <laughs> it's singular. Commando. One. Arnold Schwarzenegger gets, get this, is a man named John Matrix. <laughs> um, did you see who produced this movie? The Wachowskis. No, I didn't see. The one and only Joel Silver. Oh, yeah. Who also produced The Matrix. <laughs> uh, Just thought that was a fun fact. All right. So, you know, I'm waiting for Commando 2, Matrix Reloaded. Ah! <laughs> I stole that joke from someone on Letterboxd. I apologize for my plagiarism. But is that not the most, like, 80s action star hero name you've ever heard in your life? No one's last name is Matrix. <laughs> The the Matrix family of uh, <laughs> oh of of, of, of the New Hampton Matrixes. <laughs> yeah, that's obviously like a somebody at Witness Relocation was just like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you just know that like screenwriter Stephen D'Souza just like happened to walk by like an IBM once <laughs> and saw the word Matrix. He's like, 
Not a bad name. Yeah, I like that. Steven D'Souza wrote a lot of action movies. He wrote Die Hard and like, okay. Die Hard Also too. produced by Joel Silver. Okay. Uh, uh, we we didn't mention, or we mentioned this, but it didn't get on the pod, but Joel Silver also produced Xanadu. Xanadu. Just want to say, this: we've got two Joel Silver produced movies this season. He's just got his pinky and everything, doesn't he? <laughs> Steven D'Souza probably just... Saw Matrix on in like some textbook that like his kid had brought home or something. Was like, I like that. I'm gonna make that this guy's name. It's, it's, it's a lame name <laughs> that uh, in a movie that has a lot of lame elements to it. But you know what? I ate it up. I ate the whole thing up. I loved it. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. It is sort of a a little xenophobic, a little jingoistic. Because the very first scene is a black guy and a Latin guy machine gunning down a white guy in the suburbs. Yeah, who just wants to get his trash out. Yeah, he's just trying to throw away his garbage. I thought they were going to throw him into the the garbage truck. No, they just left him on the street. No. Well, I thought, no, I thought they were going to, like, grab him instead of the garbage and throw him in and have him be compacted. Compacted. Uh, I was disappointed. But you know, if you, if you ever needed a reason for white flight, that scene encapsulates it. I was also thinking, why did, wasn't he not tipped off that there were no other garbage uh, cans out in that cul-de-sac? Yeah, for being like a undercover military intelligence Ops, expert, yeah. <laughs> you'd think he'd look at his surroundings better, especially one that's like gone into hiding. He might, you know, have at least a, a sliver of paranoia about him to like you know watch the fuck out i know but no no dead dead (laughs) also that automobile salesman uh didn't realize that he could get run over by one of his own cars do they just leave cars like keys in the ignition in uh showrooms like that never bought a new car couldn't tell you all right maybe they did in the 80s maybe this is the reason they don't anymore (laughs) I, I love the idea of a manager at some new car dealership watching this movie and being like, oh, shit. Shit. I never thought about that. We got to take these keys out now. Calling up his employees like, listen, Margaret, drop what you're doing. Get the keys out of the ignitions right the fuck now. Bill, it's it's nine o'clock. I'm at just, home. just get over there. Okay. Some Valverdian is going to come and mow down John while he's on the sales floor. Well, give me a moment. <laughs> There's no damn time, Margaret. Poor Margaret. She does everything for him. I know. God, give her a raise already. So we get these two scenes followed by uh, the introduction to John Matrix, the uh, quote unquote commando. And really, you know how we both kind of feel that 300 is the gayest movie ever? Yeah. This scene is like right in that meaty gay realm I mean, of 300. Yeah. Like it's just muscle There's, worship i've seen yeah, porns like this yeah it <laughs> that no that's exactly it it's muscle worship like it's a close-up of his bicep it's a close-up of his chest can you imagine that on a on the big screen he's carrying that log that literally takes up the like the horizon of the frame yeah so like watching it like if you saw it on like a, a 170 foot you know screen or whatever like that that log would look huge yeah and phallic. <laughs> I'm so curious uh, uh, what Vito Rosso 
would say about this movie because you know cruising is only five years before this and he had a lot to say about that but uh i don't really think he chimed in on this movie because it gay yeah I, so that's one thing when i was watching it was like are these shots of like arnold's biceps and his pecs like for the ladies i well maybe because this movie definitely has like a woman proxy who's making comments the entire time like this is stupid what the fuck is going yeah, on yeah she says like i can't believe this macho bullshit yeah and she, she, the whole time she's you know along for the ride she's sort of like this is ridiculous like are you guys done with your dick measuring da 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 and like i almost feel like she's sort of the audience proxy in general like for anyone who's not on board for this crazy anyone who has a brain yeah you know, it's like this is really over the top and crazy so the premise of the movie is that John Matrix used to be the head of this like special ops force, this like super covert, super effective military intelligence force, and you know he's made enemies all over the globe or something like that. Could be the Syrians, could be the Russians that yeah. were coming after him. Like oh, he's got lots of enemies. So someone's killing his old colleagues that have all gone into hiding, and so he gets uh, heads up that they might be after him next, and. Like two seconds later, they're after him next. They kidnap his daughter and then they kidnap Played him. Played by Alyssa Milano. His daughter, yeah. She. This was like a. Very young. Pre Who's the Boss. Was it pre Who's the Boss? Okay. I think it must have been. Or um, at least like right when it started. Yeah, right around then. So, I mean, she's literally 10 in this. I was going to say single digits, maybe. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she's young. Yeah, so his daughter, played by Alyssa Milano, kidnapped. And we find out very quickly that the person who did the kidnapping is uh, Don. Hayata, I think is how his name is pronounced, uh-huh, uh-huh. who is a great character actor. He's been in a billion things. You know, he was one of the movie executives in Mulholland Drive, you know, that we just saw. He was Cher's father in Clueless. Those are the two things I know him best for. <laughs> I, 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 those were the two I was going to list. He's fun. He's, he's a really great character actor. He shows up a lot in 90s movies. There's mm-hmm. a lot when I was looking up his profile on IMDb. Like, he's like in The Usual Suspects. Yeah, he's you've seen him. He's great. And he can play funny and he can play menacing mm-hmm. really well. He's He can go either way. And uh, in this movie, he is going full menacing, doing a Central American accent. I do not know his ethnicity. I do not know if this is offensive. but um, Well, because he plays a overthrown dictator. Like He used right. to be the dictator of the South American country that does not exist. Steven D'Souza uses it whenever he needs to like reference a Latin American country in his scripts. So yeah, there's like a couple other Steven D'Souza scripts where they reference Valverde. Okay. Um, and it's just, he just thinks it sounds Spanish, which I mean, it does. So racist. <laughs> uh, I mean, usually when dictators are overthrown, they're like jailed or killed or something, but yeah. he somehow survived. Uh, and now he wants revenge and He's kidnapped John Matrix's daughter, and the goal is he's going to blackmail John Matrix into overthrowing the current president that John Matrix helped put into place yeah. in exchange for his daughter's life. That's all you really need to know. Like Everything yeah. else is just like getting from point A to point B. If you understand this basic premise of the movie, you understand what's happening in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Put a pin in that, because we're going to come back to it. Okay. So, sometimes I feel like people watch these movies... like. I know in reality that, you know, people had these mentalities and it just got put into a movie, but sometimes I feel like people got this mentality from movies, specifically mm-hmm. 80s action movies, where it's like there's that one Latin dude that's like holding like the card that his daughter made him, and he's sort of explaining, he's like, My people got some business with you, and if he wants your kid back, 
then you gotta cooperate. Right? Wrong. Like, I just kind of feel like that mentality of, like, someone wrongs you, you don't work with them, you just kill them. Mm-hmm. I was like, this just seems so uniquely 1980s. Yeah. He's an unstoppable force in this movie. Like, he's got all the one-liners. He's... Oh, yeah. Like... And he's such a bad actor in this. But I will say, so rewinding a little bit back to when you were talking about him carrying the log, he hits his mark. Like he he's walking, the sun's behind him. He stops this and the sun like is behind his head. Like mm. he knows where he has to stop and he looks, you know, godlike, I suppose, and then moves on. But it's like he knows how to do that. There's another scene later on when he's all like, you know, face painted up where he it's just him like peeking around a corner and then like turning and he has like a look in his eye and it's just like he knows how to ham it up for the camera so like i don't know he's kind of a a star in that way well i mean my theory with schwarzenegger is like he commits to the role like he knows that like he's not the movie like the movie's the movie like he's the star of course but like the movie's not gonna work if you know he's only half-assing it like he needs to put his whole ass in there in order for it to work. <laughs> I mean, Schwarzenegger is a whole asser. Let's yeah. be honest. And even though he gets some of the like Roger Moore, James Bond era like one-liners, he leans into it. There were so many. I kept <laughs> taking notes. On- oh, and they were so bad. He's dead tired. I'm like, oh god, that's so lazy. I let him go. <laughs> I also, I mean, not to forward too far, but when they're in the uh, the hotel scene fighting. Fuck you, asshole. Fuck you, asshole. This is terrible. The, yeah. Oh, no, it was so bad. <laughs> Some of the words. But I don't know, man. Schwarzenegger, he's like, I think he knows it's bad, but he doesn't care. I read that he was trying so hard to be an actor at this point in his career that, like, I really think that he was giving it 100%, like, that's the best he can do. If you watch, I think it's the first Conan movie, he's only got, like, 16 lines in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's because, like, his English was so bad and he was so insecure as an actor that, like, everyone just sort of, like, universally agreed, like, let's just not give him lines unless we absolutely have to. Then, then that makes it so amazing that he became the movie star that he is. Like, he doesn't have a lot of lines in the Terminator movie. I mean, especially the first one. Yeah. He's got very few. But I think that's why that works. It's, like, him just, like, walking to and from places looking menacing, which he can do. There's a little Terminator reference in this one. Like he looks at the guy and says, I'll be back, Bennett. Okay, I'll be back is obviously from Terminator. And I think it like, he tried to make that a thing in his movies for at least a while. Oh, did he? Like there's always a moment, like for at least a 10 years here where he like, must've been in his contract that he says, I'll be back at some point. Or maybe people just like, we got to work it in. Cause like, that's how people know him best is the Terminator. And if like, they can't associate him with the Terminator, then nah, that doesn't make any sense. You'd know Arnold Schwarzenegger from anywhere. Yeah. He's got a distinctive look to him. I mean, maybe it's a chicken or egg thing where it's like, oh, we've got Arnold Schwarzenegger and we got to work that in. Or B, does he demand that it is because he is the Terminator? Like, yeah. I don't know about that. But Yeah, because I know that uh, when he initially said it, it wasn't like set up to be like a line. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not like yippee Kaye motherfucker or, you know, uh, hasta la vista, baby. Yeah. It was like, just say, I'll be back. And they just liked it, so they kind of made it like a scene, like at the time. But like, you know, when the script was being written, he just was like, you know, Terminator, I'll be back. Mm-hmm. They didn't think anything of it, but it just became one of those things. That's the thing where it's like, after that, 
good on Schwarzenegger if it is, in fact, like something that just kept getting integrated into roles he did for being like, okay, just kind of smiling and winking. And Schwarzenegger has a sense of humor about himself. Like, in kind of every role he's done. Oh, yeah. There's a level of self-awareness that I kind of like. Mm -hmm. Like, this one has it, too. If you think about that opening montage, it's a joke. (laughs) Like... Him and Alyssa Milano feeding a deer out of their oh, hands. Yeah, that's like, so good. Mom, like, daddy-daughter time. Like, yeah. putting the They're ice in the cream pool. in his face. I mean, yeah. it's such a joke. It's like, you've got to, like, if you bought a ticket for Commando and this is coming <laughs> on, you're like, what the fuck? You have to be laughing. I mean, we already had two deaths leading into this yeah. deer pool daddy-daughter scene. You but... have to be laughing at this point. Like, it's, got, it's a joke. It is, it's so funny. But, no, I my belief is that people in the 80s ate it up like they <laughs> loved it they were in it hook line and sinker i loved it but like <laughs> i was laughing because i was like this is cheesy and i know stupid. i'm watching it, i'm like they're feeding a deer like oh he's this big violent muscle man commando but he's so gentle that he can feed a deer out of his hands they're like one step away from her opening a christmas present and getting a teddy bear and being like i love you danny <laughs> or like a puppy and being yeah. like oh my god <laughs> like they're so close to that it's ridiculous. Anyway. Uh, oh, and then they have that problematic conversation at the breakfast table when he's like... Why don't they just call him girl, George? It will cut down all the confusion, I think. Oh, Dad, that's so old. I, I just, when I was thinking, I was like, we're still doing this battle. <laughs> this was 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so slightly problematic. I had to think about it at first. I was like... Well, I, at first I was watching the movie without subtitles, and I thought he said, why don't they just call them girl chores? Because she was, like, making breakfast. <laughs> and I was like, are you referring to the fact that, like, she made you, like, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> as girl chores? Cooking is girls' work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was like, whoa, whoa, what did he say? What did he say? What did he say? So I, like, rewound it, put on the subtitles. I was like, they should just call him girl George. I was like, what? Who's you referring to? George Harrison? Like, uh, and then I see that he's like reading some teen magazine. I was like, oh. <laughs> Something about culture club in there. I gotcha. I gotcha. He's homophobic. <laughs> I'm on board. We're still like five minutes into this movie at this point. This is a meaty movie. This movie has as much meat as Schwarzenegger has on his bones. Yeah, he's a beefy dude. This movie is a beefy... It's an all-beef platter. <laughs> it's an all-beef platter. <laughs> After they kidnap the daughter, he like chases them with a car with no brakes and eventually gets kidnapped and has to fly on a plane to Valverde. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're skipping over some choice scenes here. Okay, what am I missing? So one is he's driving down the side of the mountain in that big pickup truck that has no brakes. And it's like once he's like out of it, the car like tumbles out, he gets out, it explodes. And all these people come after him holding, like, AK-47s. When you absolutely, positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. But, like, none of them are actually shooting him? Which, I, all right, I, I guess kind of makes sense that, like, oh, he's got to, like, do this mission. But it's like he's, like, grabbing their guns and, like, punching them. And it's like there's six of them all holding huge guns. And he's literally, like, walking up to them and punching them. We talked about this in Hard Boiled where it's like, how come he's shooting everyone and no one's shooting him? That, that, happens, that happens later so in this much, movie. Yeah. But it also in this one was, like, especially bad in this scene where it's like, 
they've surrounded him with autom- semi-automatic rifles and he's able to just pull them out and beat them with it while everyone's like, hey, what the what? hell? Yeah. <laughs> he would be peppered with bullets if mm-hmm. I was the one who d- whose I mean, gun he didn't grab. At least like a warning shot or something like that, like shooting up in the air to like scare him or something. But yeah. like, I mean, there is like a point in the movie where he's running at people shooting at him like point <laughs> blank and they don't hit him. I mean, I don't know if we've ever done this, but put a second pin in that. We're going back to this. <laughs> so many pins. <laughs> uh, but I did like that explosion, though. I mean, it was pretty good. And also, something you don't get very much these days is ex- real explosions in daylight. Like, it looks like the explosion is lit. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it's like, it's not just daylight lighting the explosion like they have artificial lighting on it too to really make it seem bright mm-hmm. which i think is maybe an 80s 70s 80s thing because you just don't really see it that way anymore. i mean no one did explosions like the 1980s like it was real explosions and i don't know if like there's like an environmental factor that sort of like stopped them from like you know blowing shit up because of like the pollution aspect of it but i don't know there, there definitely seems to be a time that you know i think it you know, started in the early 1980s and, like, ended around Terminator 2, maybe, of, like, real, like, no fooling explosions. Yeah. It looks great. I mean, it's it's excellent. Yeah. I mean, there's many, many explosions in this movie, Mm -hmm. and they look real good. So he's put on a plane to, like, go to the South American country in order to, like, overthrow the president over there. But his escort, the enemy escort that's supposed to, like, get him there... He kills him while sitting in coach. No, no, no. They're in first class. Oh, they're in first class. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. I noticed. I took a note of that because I was like, wow, they sprung for first class. <laughs> so he kills him in first class, puts a blanket over the cadaver and like a Panama hat over him and says to the waitress, I shit you not. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Which has to be some of the laziest goddamn writing I've ever heard in my life. But... <laughs> He looks at, right into the camera with his baby blue eyes and says it straight-faced. Maybe the accent helps sell it? I don't know. Oh, boy, I don't know. I mean, we're skipping over a little bit there where because uh, there's a guy who's also with them who is played by David Patrick Kelly. I don't know who that is. Well, he's the guy who's there to make sure that uh, Arnie gets on the plane. Okay. He's the guy from The Warriors who says... Whoa! Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think he's also in Twin Peaks. He is, and guess what? He's also in Wild at Heart. He's one of the assassins that kills Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, okay. I know, okay. crazy, right? He always plays like a shitty, smarmy piece of shit. I mean, that's what he plays in Twin Peaks. I yeah. mean, he's great. He's he the, he knows what his face looks like, and he just <laughs> goes for it. So good for him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know who you're talking about now. But question for you if you were a bodyguard for someone that you were going to make sure gets to a country that's 11 hours away would you give them the aisle seat (laughs) oh no good point like you'd want them locked in yeah i wouldn't allow them to even get up and use the bathroom i just like the idea of like that specific henchman's like i want the window seat (laughs) he like lifts up the shade like Puts his arm down and is looking out the window. I'm like, oh, there's a mountain. Oh, my God, we're over a river. They look like ants from up here. 
He's like all hands pressed up against the window. <laughs> I thought that was <gasps> such a weird choice. Like, yeah, no, that is weird. No. You put your you put your hostage in the window seat and you sit on the aisle and make sure they don't leave. Eleven hours though. If you were the hostage taker, that meant that you couldn't get up for eleven hours. Yeah, I thought it was weird that they used a commercial flight for this anyway. Like, I did too. <laughs> I thought that was a little you risky. Couldn't afford like, a private jet. What if, like John Matrix, in all of his military brilliance, like passes a note to someone or communicates with anyone else on the plane? An air marshal, perhaps. Like at eleven hours, you get to decide your meal choice, and you have to decide that ahead of time so they can prepare for it. Like, did they just? Pick a pick a steak or yeah, chicken for him. They gave like, him the kosher meal just was, in case. This was eighties. So like, I mean, if he gets the kosher meal, that covers all bases. There's a lot to consider. <laughs> they sprung for first class, but not a private jet. Yeah, like what's the price difference there? Like, I mean, if I was overthrowing a government, I feel like I'd need some financial backers. They have a plane. They they like there's a plane later that they hijack. Like, don't they have access to other planes that could make it that or far? Or can't down? they hijack another plane or I mean, he's your prisoner. Can't you just like chain him up and then put him on a fucking truck? Also like, like just putting him on the plane with one henchman like it, it's one henchman versus John Matrix, who John Matrix is like the John Wick of the 80s. He like, put down so many of their agents already. He's at his a one man army. <laughs> it's commando. This is why Don Hayek got overthrown. He wasn't thinking in the long game. No. Just really didn't think things through. No, this, this, this is a really poorly put together plan. Anyway, so yeah, he kills dude and... Uh, but the plane takes off. Excuses himself and somehow claws his way into the landing gear. Yeah, like he goes through like the uh, baggage compartment and where they're keeping the pets and things like that in the undercarriage of yeah. the plane. But by just using his bare hands. Like, yeah, like you like rip something out. Um, I thought that was silly, but whatever. I don't know how planes work. <laughs> and... Yeah, he, he like crawls down uh, the landing gear as the plane's taking off. So it's like it's lifting up off the ground as he's trying to climb down it. And are they like in the Everglades or something? <laughs> yeah, at the end of this uh, takeoff strip, it, there is it's a just swampland. Swamp and because like he, the beginning of the movie, he's like in a remote cabin in the woods, in California. It seems like. I thought Colorado, Northern California. Okay, sure. You know, some place remote and arid and you know high in elevation not any word that i think of when i think of florida uh but nonetheless yeah it's like just swampland all around this airport i mean it's a rare high altitude bog (laughs) apparently (laughs) i guess this is as good a point as any to bring up the fact that i think I'm a little spoiled after recently watching Police Story because hmm. the stunts in this seem so lame. You, you can kind of see like the strings in this per se. Yeah, like the cuts and uh, how there isn't actually somebody doing this stunt. Like if this were a Jackie Chan movie, 
we'd see the plane taking off and him jumping off the plane in one shot. Yeah. Like, we just don't get that with this. Yeah, it's like we'll see, like, the plane go up and then there'll be a cut from the distance and we'll see, like, somebody jump. But then there's, like, a separate cut for, like, when they hit the water yeah. or the marsh. And then Schwarzenegger's Yeah, then he out crawls it. out of the reeds or whatever it is. Yeah, and it just seems so lame in comparison. Yeah. yeah, having police story, like, really informs you. Like, it lets you, like, see the strings more. Or, like, when he's holding up that piece of shit over the cliff you can clearly tell that the frame is like right at the top of the guy's foot like where like a wire is gonna be or where a rope's gonna be yeah but it's like you never see just schwarzenegger and like a a a foot you know untethered to anything it's like the foot is always sort of cut off it's one of those things like once you've seen enough like you know to look for it like i think the first time i saw this like i wasn't looking for shit like that but now that I've seen the difference, I kind of look for shit like that. I mean, I'm sure Arnold can take a hit and, like, take a punch and right. things like that. But, but I mean, even, like, in the... I mean, I keep going back to... Or we keep jumping ahead. But the hotel sequence when they're fighting, mm-hmm. it also seemed just sort of lethargic and not really fighting. Like, they couldn't choreograph it well enough mm-hmm. to have it just be an actual one-camera shot. Whereas, like, you know, police story... Jackie Chan is getting up and fucking fighting with a person and it's like 30 plus moves of fighting Mm -hmm. and it just seems so slow and sad in comparison. Yeah, a little choppy. Yeah, like it just, I understand the criticism of these kind of movies now after seeing something like Police Story or even Hard Boiled too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like in Hard Boiled, at least the action is so slick and smooth. Like nothing seems to stop the flow of action. Whereas like, this, like, they cut a lot, like, right before or after a hit or something like that, so... And, like, sometimes it's, like, they'll they'll do it for show. Like, there's one where, like, Arnold, like, punches someone with, like, both hands at the same time. Like, that doesn't look like it'd be super effective. Like, <laughs> just punching someone with, like, two fists in the chest. I'm like, boy, I don't know. There's got to be better ways to knock a guy out than that. Oh, my God. Okay, we're never going to get through this. Um, it's fine. There's a... There's a woman... Mm-hmm. Played by, didn't write her name down. She's very much token lady. She is, but I kind of liked her. I liked her vibe. I uh, liked her vibe. She calls him out consistently throughout this movie. Although, I questioned her motivation for going along with the whole oh, thing. Oh, no. It's totally like just the most flimsy logic ever. Well, because they meet because Arnold needs to follow that one dude in like the yellow car. Right. And like, grabs her, rips the seat seat out out of her car. And then he sits there and I was like, isn't that all like bony and pointy? And like, aren't you just like there? And it's not explained. I mean, I kind of understand it's like, it's easier for him to hide if there isn't that seat, but couldn't he just like recline it? Yeah. Yeah, Like, why do you have to tear the seat out? Maybe not all seats reclined, Ryan. Maybe this dates back to a time of bench seats or something when, Basically, where you sat was where you sat. I don't know. I wasn't. I literally may not have been alive when this movie was made. I don't know. It was weird. Uh, but yeah, he rips the seat out for some reason and gets in. Somehow convinces her to like go along with him on his journey. And you'll have to watch it to understand <laughs> it because like we watched it and we didn't understand it. But she seems like not at game at first, but then when he tells her it's about his daughter. Suddenly she's okay. Yeah, and she's not totally useless a la May and Police Story. No, she does some shit. 
in Police Story, May gets like pushed down the stairs. Yeah. She does the pushing in this movie. That's right. She pushes there's, there's, in a mall. Yeah, there's a mall fight scene, and like one of the guys is like going after John Matrix, and she pushes him down the stairs. So, you know, point for girl in this movie. <laughs> the mall fight sequence is both awesome and ridiculous. Because uh, we got fucking what's-his-face weasel in this, like, phone phone yeah. tube <laughs> that he just, like, rips out of the ground and tips over. Yeah. Arnie, while Weasel Man is talking on the phone, trying to be like, he's not on that plane, he's not on the plane, comes over, grabs the phone booth, lifts it up over his head, and then throws it on the ground. But then he's jumped by, like, all these security guards, and he just does one of those, like, and, and like just raises his arms up and like all like six of the security guards go flying off him yeah and I'm like they all have guns or tasers or pepper spray or something but yet he's unstoppable like you know commando cannot be pepper sprayed I mean he's huge in this movie at one point she goes to a security guard in the mall and is like some crazy cuckoo dude has kidnapped me and is making me do these things to save his quote unquote daughter and then the police officer gets an eye full of Arnie and is like I'm gonna need some backup here <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he rips that was it a balloon or something like that what yeah what the fuck is that and like swings down like he perfectly measures the length of this thing so that he can swing from like the third story of a mall down onto the top of a moving elevator, which admittedly was pretty awesome to watch. I know, but we just saw Jackie Chan like <laughs> slide down a thing of light bulbs. So after the mall fight sequence, after the action bits there, they're in the car, him and whatever the girl's name is. They're driving around, and she literally recaps the entire mall action sequence. Steal my car! You ripped the seat out! You kidnapped me! You asked me to help you find your daughter, which I very kindly do! And then you get me involved in a shootout where people are dying and there's blood spurting all over the place! And then I watch you rip the phone booth out of the wall, swing from the ceiling like Tarzan! And then there's a cop that's gonna shoot you, and I save you, and he starts chasing me! Are you gonna tell me what's going on or what? No. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. He has so little lines in this. Like, they literally give the lines to as many other people as possible so that he doesn't have to say them. And then, yeah, we got that, I mean, we got that chase sequence, which ends in the yellow Corvette falling over, tipping over, and then him dropping Weasel Dude from uh, a height. Yeah, holds him over a cliff by his ankle, and he's like, oh, my weak arm. And then she's like, what'd you do with Sally? I let him go. You're like, were you not watching? (laughs) What were you doing during that period of time? This is before like smartphones. You couldn't have been looking at your phone. Like seriously, James Bond would cringe at that line. (laughs) Ridiculous. I let him go. Jesus Christ. Uh, They go to this hotel, which is the coolest hotel. Is it the coolest? (laughs) Sorry, Motel. Okay. I Ex- loved it. Explain why you thought it was the coolest motel. Well, neon lights, A. Uh-huh. Okay. B, there's windows on the doors. <laughs> C, it's got those like cube glass pieces in the shower. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The lamps were cool. It was just a cool hotel room, I thought. Okay. <laughs> this might have been where the pot was kicking in for me, so. <laughs> That's where um guy from the um, garbage truck scene that we talked about earlier comes back. And um, 
gets in a fight with Arnie. Hold on. What was it? Spider. Oh. I got it, though. It's dead. You're going to keep that in? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, like I said, it's one of the leth- most lethargic fight scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. Arnie's so big. It's hard to be spry when you literally have that much bulk. I mean, he's Zangief in Street Fighter. Like, you can... <laughs> you got the you know pow- the name. That's You've got cool. the power, but you just don't have the speed. Whereas Jackie Chan's, you know... Uh, Chun-Li. Chun-Li. Yeah, of Absolutely. course. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And maybe this is just me, but I've always felt that speed is actually greater than strength. Mm-hmm. When it really comes down to it, I think Jackie Chan could probably take Arnold Schwarzenegger in a fight. He'd get in 12 hits before Arnold could do the haymaker, you know? Yeah, I just feel like Jackie would be so quick that you couldn't hit him. Mm-hmm. Just personal belief. I, I, you know, I can't say for certain, but I would like to watch that. They're both about the same age. Oh, this movie and... Uh... Police Story came out in 85, so same age. Oh, cool. Yeah. Both men at the height of their powers. But yeah, Arnie, for all his mass, is just not spry. And so, yeah, there's a couple times where it just, it looks like, (laughs) it's kind of cool because, like, getting hit by that would suck. I wouldn't want to get hit by by, by Arnie. One hit and I'm down. Yeah. I mean, that's true of any man, but especially Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know if we've emphasized this enough, but he is a mountain in this movie. Even his 90s movies does not compare to the mass that he is. Like, I feel like this is him at his biggest. Like, he doesn't look this big in either of the Terminator movies. He doesn't look this big in Total Recall. Even Predator, I don't feel like he looks this big. It's intimidating like i know you're gonna ask me hit it or quit it <laughs> well all right yeah in the merry fuck kill of arnie Alyssa milano and dan Hyatt, where does he stand i mean it's difficult because <laughs> i'm scared like what would he do to my body i'm more scared of just his like you know hard furrow brow like he has a hard brow line that like and just a very dominating forehead i've never been hit on by somebody who looked like that and i've never had the courage to hit on somebody who looked like that but i mean i guess i'm attracted to it i mean in the gay community if you look like that part of it is i think that you're attracted to that type as well sure like i'm not talking 100 percent here but like if you're working out that hard to like get that much bulk and be that big you're probably not super attracted to just like little slim twinks. Sure. You know, your regular Ryan Whedon's out there. (laughs) If you're into that like level of bulk, it's probably because you think bulk is attractive. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe this is just personal experience speaking, but like people who are that big are generally looking for other big people because they think that muscles are attractive. So they're putting muscles on themselves because to them, that makes them more attractive. And I get that. Like, I I understand that mentality. That said, I mean, there is a part of me that's like, ravage me. You know? (laughs) Like, just put my arms up. And uh, I don't know. Like, he's kind of hot in this movie. Well, he gets in, like, a little, like, onesie. Speedo. Yeah. And he's got that really tight, compact, efficient butt. Like, 
it's a ridiculous looking body. Like it's hyper masculine. He looks like a cartoon. I mean, it is a Tom of Finland's body. Yeah. I'm not sad about it. Yeah. <laughs> when you were talking earlier about how like the beginning of this movie is m- like muscle worship pornography, that's not totally inaccurate. Like he clearly got really big for this and the camera to say linger undercuts what the camera is doing to it's him. It's a close, like E C U of his bicep several, mm-hmm. like a couple times. Yeah. So like, as we're like nearing like the tail end of the movie and like he's in a speedo and he's loading up his raft with like all like the weaponry that he's going to need for this final, you know, showdown. Like he's just wearing a speedo and it's like, I mean, not my type, but, like, I would not kick that out of bed. I know. I'm not sad about it either. It's like his muscles are so well-defined. He's got, like, a tiny little waist and a huge broad shoulder with just massive arms. It's like I get over me not being into muscles, and I'm like, and I'm into it now. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this leads me to a question that I thought about while watching this movie is, like, the worship of the male body in 80s action movies is sort of gay. Sometimes I feel that Mac and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, because like as the series goes on, it's like he's gay. Yeah. Part of it is like, I think he's like highlighting the sort of, you know, gayness that is in toxic masculinity a little bit that like it, you know, the overcompensation aspect of it. Because yeah, Mac is totally obsessed with action movies with just bulked out you know action stars and then in the end he's super gay and i don't know because yeah this movie like the way that 300 is the gayest movie ever made it it's the same thing it's pretty gay yeah it's super gay he doesn't even kiss the girl that he's supposed to know that he gets doesn't does he no they i thought for sure at the very end they were gonna be like He's going to be like, come here, honey, and like give her a kiss. Doesn't happen. No. Like, they just get in the plane and fly away. It's kind of pro gay in, like, if you're interested in the male gaze at all. Yeah, but it's also like men. Pro, like, being closeted a little bit. Like, you can like this shit so long as you never, ever talk about it with anyone. Yeah, that's true. But do you think that was all of Bennett's issues? (laughs) Maybe. So I have, like, questions about, like, the Bennett matrix feud because like all right i don't want to skip over the scarface-esque mansion shootout we don't have to talk too much about it but go ahead i mean it's hard to talk about because it's mostly arnold just like wreaking havoc on this like south american mansion literally shooting all the bullets and never getting any bullets into him and this is got one yeah he got like grazed in like the hero area the same place that like judge got hit essentially like but you know uh matrix just you know, put some pancreo grow on it and he was fine. But I mean, that's a scene that's better seen than talked about because what are we going to say? He shot a bunch of bullets. He done shot and blowed up stuff. (laughs) The best part was when the buildings fell down. It blowed up real good. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing to talk about. You watch it, he blew up shit. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that it's not awesome. But I mean, so there's a long shootout, standoff, blow them up, action scene heading up to like this South American villa mansion, whatever you want to call it where he's trying to rescue his daughter. Uh, and he has a showdown with Bennett who was like, used to be like a part of his Intel group 
but was too violent and was kicked out or arrested or something like that. So it's just the two of them, and they have, like, you know, manly man fisticuffs. Bennett's not built. Oh, my God, I have the same note. I was like, why didn't they make Bennett work out to look the same size as Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, I mean, I don't think you can make anyone the same size as Arnold Schwarzenegger was in this movie. But, like, Bennett has muscle mass the way that I have muscle mass, which is low and flabby. (laughs) Like... No, he he doesn't look like any kind of competition for him. Yeah, it's like embarrassing. While I was watching this, I was like, "What the fuck makes this guy so invincible?" No, yeah, there's no way he's gonna win. Like Arnold would punch him with his like fucking two ton arm, and then Bennett would punch him back with his like linguini arm, <laughs> and like he get knocked over and his nose would be bleeding. I'm like, "What the hell?" No, yeah, I have the same note. It was like I just wish that whoever the actor that played Bennett was would have taken a little more time to bulk up in the way that Arnold bit or maybe he did and that like that's the best he could do for those scenes Ooh. but like he just looks barrel chested and uh spaghetti armed you're right like it's just sad it doesn't seem I don't know probable that these two would be an equal match barrel chested and spaghetti armed is what's in my grinder profile you getting a lot of hits with that uh you'd be surprised <laughs> once I quit thinking about that the fight sequence is actually pretty good like mm-hmm. in the steam room bennett gets electrocuted yeah there's like that whole like pushing their faces into the furnace thing uh-huh. which is kind of cool and uh you know finally he gets uh that rod bennett gets that rod through its chest yes and you know schwarzenegger gets the line of little some steam bennett he's known for his corny lines and he sells them so mm-hmm. it's fine my biggest problem with that scene was right after that he says, let off some steam. The guy dies. And then Alyssa Milano, who's been watching this whole fight sequence, sees the guy die and also saw him electrocuted and then just smiles and is like, daddy, you're back. It's like, wouldn't she just be traumatized? Like looking inward, like crying, like this didn't happen. <laughs> this didn't happen. Rocking back and forth, hugging herself like. Hey, she's just fucking happy this guy's dead. We don't know what bedtime stories in the Matrix household are like. Maybe like fucking Jack and Jill get in that oven and die, <laughs> and she's used to death at this point in her life, like macabre, violent death. He's been preparing her for a situation he, like this. He knew that this would happen one day. Wow. Do we ever find out what happened to John Matrix's wife? Like she the- died in childbirth. It's a one-line throwaway. Yeah. But what we don't get any enlightenment on is that he keeps saying that, like, on her third birthday, I was there. And on my sixth birthday, I was here. And it's like, who was taking care of her during those times? Like, Mm. we don't get any, you know, illumination on that. I assume she was just taking care of herself, and that's why she can make herself sandwiches. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. He has raised an independent woman. Okay, so a question I have for you. The we met we talked about earlier this is a rehash of one pin. We talked earlier about the whole dictator getting overthrown schma that happens. We also get from the general that's above John Matrix that this could start World War 3. Do you ever get the impression that those are the stakes? No. Never. <laughs> Like, the stakes are his daughter, and that's it. I agree, and I like that. 
This yeah. is another example of an action movie keeping the stakes personal, and that's what makes it watchable. Low stakes inversely make the stakes feel higher. While they try to imply that this that the stakes of this could lead to World War Three, we, the audience, only care about John Matrix and his daughter. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that makes this movie successful. We're not caring about this world problem shit that's going on. We care about him and Alyssa Milano, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's a cool trick this movie does. We want to see them make it work. We want to see him save his daughter. And I like that about this movie. Mm-hmm. I forgot what my other pin was at this point. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Did you like this movie? Yeah, I mean, I... It's a grain of salt movie, but it's yeah. It's dumb. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's totally stupid. <laughs> but... uh <laughs> I eat stuff like this up because I, I get the impression that this movie is at least, I don't know, 45% self-aware. Like it okay. kind of knows what a dumb piece of shit it is, you know, like, and it knows its audience. It knows what it's trying to do. And it's not pretending that it's something important. Mm-hmm. I respect that. And it makes me appreciate it more. And it makes me have fun. Like this isn't a movie for someone who's looking for, I don't know intellectual enlightenment they're there to see stuff explode Mm -hmm. and arnie say stupid lines yeah i also like the fact that there's a proxy for the woman who gets pulled along on the date for this like (laughs) you know there's like some some shitty man who's like come on let's go see this movie and like his date's like okay whatever and she gets to be like uh what's her name yeah just being like this is some macho bullshit yeah and like she gets a little something in this too where she's just like this is a dumb thing but But yeah she like all but disappears once arnie gets to the mansion like i think she's left on the boat and like that's the last we see i know like i mean that was kind of that kind of sucked but also like also sort of makes sense for how gay the movie is for him to not care at all about the woman that's not his blood relative i know Further reinforcing our belief that this is the second gayest movie ever outside of 300. I have a question for you. What made you want to finish with this movie in your action sequence? Well, when I initially started my action movie exploration, I did describe it as uh, that we didn't have enough just like hyper-masculine things on the podcast. And really, when I was looking back, I was like, you know, even the action movies that we do have aren't really that hyper-masculine. Like, they all feature men, but like... Chow Young Fat and Jackie Chan, I wouldn't describe as hyper masculine. And, like, yeah, Dredd is hyper masculine, but he's sort of tempered with the uh, his mutant sidekick in that, who is definitely not. And so I really didn't know which one I wanted to pick for the end of this, but I really wanted it to be a hyper masculine action movie. Like, even in Schwarzenegger's oeuvre, this one feels like the most hyper masculine. And I figured that two gay men who I wouldn't say either of us are particularly masculine uh, (laughs) are kind of ideal candidates to judge this sort of stuff. Like we can look at it and judge it and see it for what it is, but still appreciate it. Like we're not 
hating on it for being hyper-masculine. We appreciate it, but we, we call it out. I almost feel like it's camp. Oh, yeah, almost. Like it borders on camp. It, yeah, that, yeah, that's not inaccurate. It was dumb fun. Yeah. It, I mean, you know what? Those are the exact same words I used for Xanadu. Xanadu. Which is also produced by Joel Silver. <laughs> like, I think... <laughs> Joel Silver kind of knows what dumb fun is. Yeah. And uh, he's not afraid to produce that movie. Yeah, he gets butts and seats, Xanadu notwithstanding. <laughs> so this ends my action exploration. It's been fun while it lasted. But I guess next episode, we're starting a new chapter here. Yeah, it's time for... Did you hear that? What was that? Ah! Matt, yeah, it's time for Schlocktoberfest. Oh no! I'm excited. I'm excited just for that drop to come back (laughs) because I love it so much. I was looking at my list and I was like, you know, I have a lot of horror movies I haven't done so far. And I can't wait to unload them in the next couple episodes. And I'm going to start off with one that I know you haven't seen. Oh. Continuing my trend in this season of picking movies you haven't seen. And this one is scary for a number of reasons, but mainly because it happens more than you'd think. I want to do The Pact. I don't really? want to tell you too much because the twist is what makes it scary. I've never even heard of this movie. I'm not going to tell you any more than that, except uh, just get ready for a twist at the end that's going to make you think. Also, Casper Van Diem's in it. So. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Nice. All right. I'm excited. <laughs> Good. Should be fun. Plug our junk. Get the fuck out of here. I would like that. Go to our website, xratedmovies.com. It's got literally every single goddamn thing we've done. All 88 episodes. It's a great time there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at X-Rated Movies. That's E-X-Rated Movies. Go to our Facebook page and like us or follow us at Rated X Movies. And if you'd like to help support the podcast in a free way, just uh, leave us love. Give us some stars. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And that really helps us get the word out about our show. And if you want to contact us directly for any other reason, you can go to x.rated.movies at gmail.com. We always respond promptly and succinctly. And until then, next week with The Pact. Bye. Bye.